to The Commercial Disco, the only show dedicated to exploring the great stories and people driving Australia's unique innovation and tech landscape. Now over to your host, James Riley. Welcome to The Commercial Disco. I'm James Riley, Editorial Director at Innovation Oz. I'm talking today to John McKenney, Principal Digital Strategist at Adobe for the region, the Asia Pacific. He's a former CFO at Tourism Australia and General Manager of Digital Transformation in that organisation. And before that, worked in the New South Wales Government at Family and Community Services. Welcome, John. Thanks, James. I'm just having a look at your LinkedIn and I'm seeing you progressing through a CFO role within a government organisation one in which you're managing the IT by the looks and then into this role at Tourism Australia as CFO, but managing a broader set of digital outcomes and now into Adobe. So talk to me a little bit about the differences in prioritising some of these digital-related issues between government department, government-owned business entity, and then what is a thriving private sector corporation. It's a great question, James. I mean, I think to start from a very personal perspective, I spent the first part of my career, probably the first 15 years of my career in the public sector, and really, like many public servants, driven by a desire to help people and greater service delivery, particularly in the human services space. Largely, I did that from the finance seat and CFO seat, sort of driving investment. But very quickly, what I started to understand was that digital experience and the way that we interacted with people online was actually where service delivery was going in the future and was certainly an area that personally I wanted to be able to influence. So jumped out of the CFO seat and and jumped into a a role in, in sort of digital strategy, which I saw was critical. In terms of the difference between the public and private sector, I mean, digital in the private sector is absolutely about delivering great customer service or sales experience to really drive revenues and and drive profitability. When I think about in the public sector, though, it's about how do we use online channels to support people through times of hardship and generally at times in their life where where they need to interact with government. So equal is important, but we're coming at it from a different direction. We're going to be talking, by the way, today, a lot about trust, a lot about privacy, security and all that kind of stuff, digitising empathy those kinds of concepts. But before we do, talk about the skill set. So you've taken a journey CFO to CDO, which isn't always the route taken. You know, chief digital officers seem to have multidisciplinary teams and then they've come from marketing or come from IT or come from finance as you have. So what's the archetypal CDO these days? I mean, that's a great question. And I think CDOs are, as you rightly point out, very, very broad roles. But at their core and maybe much more similar to accountants than what the average CTO might want to accept is is we're very data-driven. You have to be able to understand what consumers need or in, in the case of government, what citizens need at a particular point in time and then be able to guide them through a particular journey or experience. So I think yeah, the similarities between finance and CDO is, is certainly very much a data point. From a transformation perspective, though, digital impacts on every stream in the organisation. It is no longer the confines of IT for a website and an app. It is how you become much more customer-driven, how that information is made available, not just to the web teams, but to everyone in customer service, whether that's call centres and frontline staff. So 
similar once again to the CFO role, I see the CDO is needing to be much more horizontal across the organisation in terms of understanding how technology impacts and driving the business forward. Kind of interested. I'll just explore that a little bit. Are we seeing that kind of structure inside government? We're we seeing government kind of realigning itself around that more horizontal capability for service delivery? I think we're seeing the initial steps, James. I'm not sure we've moved in government as fast as what the private sector has. So whether that's the creation of the Department of Customer Service in, in New South Wales, whether that's the creation of of Service Australia and, and the moving together of those frontline services at a federal government level, I think we're certainly seeing those signals. Whether the full breadth of chief digital officers going into that whole connected journey of both offline and online and pulling that whole thing together, I think government still has some steps to take. But we're certainly seeing the initial steps taken on that journey. Okay, let's talk about trust for a minute. You know, COVID's obviously had a big impact. I think anecdotally, you could suggest that trust in government has lifted through this through this process and current circumstances in Melbourne aside, you know, the largely successful initial response to the pandemic. Is that a fair statement? Look, certainly anecdotally, I would agree with you. I, I think if we were sitting here 12 months ago and we talked about the fact that millions of Australians would have downloaded an app that was tracing them, I probably might have said that you were crazy, James, you know, yeah. as part of that. So I think the trust dynamic has definitely changed in terms of what people are willing to offer up to government and, and what that might mean in return. The other thing is generally Australia has obviously um, responded to the pandemic better than other countries. And I think that puts a certain level of, of national pride and, and trust in our political leaders. So I think it is a very unique time in our history to be having this conversation about where we go next as you know, around digital government. Because I think, as you say, I think trust is at a, at certainly a, at a much higher level than what it has been for a number of years. So I suppose... Government has been forced to be more agile, just as everyone has, and we don't, you know, we all know about work from home and all that sort of thing. But they've also been forced in so much as programs like JobKeeper on the one hand or the unemployment benefits on the other. Like there are literally hundreds of thousands of more people accessing those services in a very short period of time. So the government has doubled down on some digital delivery, but it's been a forced environment. Absolutely. And I think the month of July was from a web traffic perspective, the highest amount of web traffic that's ever gone to government websites in history, close to 190 million web visits that took place in that month. And when we look at the data here at Adobe, those things aren't wholly driven by health searches. While coronavirus is obviously a driver of part of that traffic, these are people in hardship. Generally, it is people getting information on JobKeeper or JobSeeker but probably more concerning is it's actually a number of people who are interacting with government in new ways. So some of the top search terms we're seeing are, how do I get a Centrelink reference number? How do I register with Centrelink? So these are people who are accessing the welfare system for their first time in their lives. And that obviously creates a lot of hardship for people, but also creates a need for government to be highly empathetic in how they respond digitally to these needs. Look, I suppose if you're in the private sector, you would say, wow, that's an incredible opportunity But in the government sector. It's a different thing and no one likes to see people going through hardship. But when you're talking to the people who are in charge of some of those service delivery programs about 
digital strategy. How are you advising them? I mean, that's for those people who've never been in contact with Centrelink or benefits in that way, how do you leverage that increased level of trust but ensure that you maintain that trusted relationship? It seems to me it's something that could be easily broken. Yeah, look, I think trust, like in all good relationship, takes work. I mean, when we think about trust, it really is three parts of it. So one, trust comes from great customer experience. It comes from government better service delivery. So we want to make sure that government is thinking about that. Really great service delivery, though, is digitally a government understanding my needs and ideally meeting them where I am in the channel that I am as quickly as possible. You know, one of the big differences between the public and private sector is if we're a private sector organisation, every brand wants you to spend more time with them. Government's the inverse of that equation. A good government service is one that I interact with. I get the information I need or I apply for the service I need and then I'm on with my day. I'm spending time with my family or I'm, I'm getting on with my life. So I think those are the, the critical things. When I talk to government about it, how that typically comes together is having that better understanding of the individual and actually the context of which they're coming to government. So what are they searching for? What are they reading about? And then providing them the right communication at that time. So at its highest level, why is government held to a different standard? I think as taxpayers and as citizens, we have, we put government up on a pedestal or probably, sorry, maybe not up on a pedestal. We put them at a higher standard than maybe what we do with the private sector companies, whether that's because we're taxpayers or not. We want government to deliver great service delivery. There's no doubt about that. But then we also need to find ways to change some of that culture around those expectations. So one, we should expect higher levels of standards, but likewise, we want government to invest in innovation. We want them to learn and we want them to improve that experience. I think the challenge of in the private sector where concepts of fail fast mentalities or proof of concepts might work more effectively, that doesn't always work at a ministerial level, particularly around fears of failure. So it's how do we change, get that culture changed to be able to say, let's get products in front of citizens, then improve as we go and make sure that we're constantly evolving rather than trying to have a fear of failure and, and failing on bigger projects over time. Can I ask you about RoboDebt, the compliance scheme that went somewhat awry in the federal government and obviously uh, there's the, before the courts now. Yep. As an outsider looking in, how does something like that come about? And what sort of obviously has damage, but it's not brand damage, it's something else, isn't it? Yeah, look, I mean, I won't comment specifically on, on the robo-debt problem. What I would say is that program, like many government programs, is trying to bring in innovation to automate a process and, and to create efficiencies within the public sector. I think those parts of it are positive. I think the challenge is has been of how that was applied and how that ended up being implemented. So I think, yeah, without commenting too much on the, on the actual program, I think the challenge is how do governments learn from that and be much more citizen-focused than maybe where that program ended up landing. Okay, let's move to uh, citizen awareness or consumer awareness of data and security issues. It's never been greater. I do feel for government at times, it seems to me that in the private sector, they will use data in such ways or use you know whatever innovative processes that they can put in place. They'll use them in ways that benefit both them and their 
customers, often without consent per se, yeah. uh, they just they'll introduce innovations. Government, of course, has a three-year election cycle, and if something goes awry, there's the potential for people to be angry with them and to put it to them at the ballot box. So how do we manage those kinds of issues, particularly in government? Yeah. So let's park the experience part of it for a moment. Fundamentally, if government delivers better experience and you get a better outcome, which, as I said, is going to put time back in your day and you're going to be able to interact with government more effectively, I think we will get a positive uplift, I suppose, in trust in in government. We talk quite often about, okay, we should deliver an experience that's equal to the private sector. So I want to, you know, dealing with government should be the same as dealing with NetBank, as an example. But there's other elements of that which you rightly talk about, which is the privacy side. So if government wants to go down this path, then it is, okay, well, how do we have the appropriate privacy and consent processes in place? But more than just having the policies which are there, how are we highly transparent about it? So my position on this with government is I I feel that government should be much more overt about privacy and much more transparent about how that data is going to be used by government. Once you are transparent about it and once you have those privacy things in place, the question then is how much control do you give to the consumer? And this has probably been a debate and what we've seen in other jurisdictions is where you can give people trust about what they opt into and don't opt into, who can share with who. So can Centrelink share with Medicare? If that control is able to be in part in the hands of the citizen, that is likely to increase trust. So that whole opt-in, opt-out, preference setting type concept is really important. And then the third element then is, okay, well, security. How confident am I in government that my data is secure, that it's not going to be subject to breaches and and all the cyber elements to that. So when I think about trust, it is those three things. It's, okay, well, give me a great experience. Make sure you're highly transparent about how my data is going to use. Give me control when you can and make sure that you've got the appropriate structures in place to actually maintain governance and maintain the security of my data. Yeah, it's amazing how much a well-delivered government service will buy you goodwill. I think we've seen that in New South Wales through Service New South Wales. I, I can't even remember, actually, what um, going into an old RTA office was like compared to going into Service New South Wales, which has been um, you know, quite refreshing. So I, yep. I suppose that's, that's a key for them. We talked before about empathy and empathy issues, particularly at this time, and yep. trying to build those into automated structures. I mean, you can't hold everyone's hand, I suppose, and you can't have everyone at a front desk with a sympathetic ear. So, so how are we doing that? So as I said, I think empathy is around knowing my particular circumstance and recommending me government services that link to that. So the biggest difference between private sector websites and public sector websites is, James, if you and I go into a public sector website, we get the identical same experience. Whatever we land on the homepage, whatever we get served is exactly the same. If you and I went into whether a leading bank or a Telstra or an airline website, we're going to get a very different experience based on who we are. So what does that mean for government, right? So if you know that I'm currently on unemployment benefits, Should I receive a different experience? Should you be giving me information that's going to support me in terms of where my benefits are up to, where my application's up to, potentially other government services that might help me find a job? For me, that's what empathy looks like in a digital world is that you're connecting me through with that. 
Likewise, if you know that I've half completed a form online and I ring up the call centre or potentially in the future I walk back into a service centre, I want the person that I'm talking to on the other end of the phone to know that I did that. That's empathy. Don't make me tell it again. Please don't make me tell you my first name, last name and date of birth for the hundredth time. So those sort of, you know, for me, empathy comes from you've told me once or I've taken actions with government and government is adjusting the communication I'm receiving based on those interactions. So I'm going to guess that we're getting better at this stuff and we certainly see it in the private sector with some pretty amazing personalisation, I suppose. But the government level, I think they've used personas and I'm wondering if the personas don't drill down deep enough and don't have a genuine understanding, then it comes across as something quite hollow. Are are we there yet in terms of that kind of personalisation? I don't believe we're there yet in terms of the actual experience changing. So I think, as I said, the two areas where I'd give government a really positive score is one from a leadership perspective about talking about the customer and being customer focused and and the realignment of government. And secondly, the expansion of what we'd probably call human-centered design. So whether that's focus groups, working through key customer journeys. The reality is though, the digital experience is not changing based on the fact that I might sit in persona A or persona B. We you know, effectively map out and go, this is typically the persona who's coming into the website and that's the generic experience it gets. So a couple of examples. COVID is obviously a, a massive challenge. If I'm in a highly affected postcode in Melbourne at the moment, should I received much deeper information about what I should be doing in terms of safety at the moment, as distinct from someone who might be sitting in Western Queensland. Absolutely. Some of these contexts aren't about even a known transaction with government. It's based on even something as simple as geolocation, about where I might happen to be coming into government from. So I think it's just, as I said, taking those signals and moving it forward. The other one that I think I'd love government to think more about is, you know, unlike a bank who might be wanting to sell me a, a home loan or a credit card, is how does the experience change if I'm in rural Australia? You know, internet connections aren't always as great as we would like them to be. How does the experience render differently so that I'm still able to use it in a rural destination? If I'm suffering from a disability and I need the experience to be different, how does that change for me? So I think those are the sort of things when I talk about empathy. It's knowing that I sit in a cohort and giving me a different experience because of that because I'm probably in a greater needs bucket than, than some other people. Okay, I'm talking to John McKenney, Principal Digital Strategist at Adobe for the region. John, who's doing this well? If we look around either Australian governments or offshore, in the public sector, who's doing this well? So I think there's probably two or three different examples that I'll give. Certainly, I think the Canadian government have been fantastic through this period. They have common way of understanding sort of digital signals from their citizens so any sort of digital touch point form completion and the like is tracked with their consumers and then off the back of that they drive them to the appropriate government service that is all done through a single government web platform so rather than individual government departments having separate websites running on separate technology that's all one as one single platform So as I'm moving between health and education or jobs, that website is understanding those interactions and connecting Canadians with the right government service. So I think 
Fantastic. Can I just, uh, just jump in there? The system of government is not a million miles from our own. So have they cracked that kind of federal state boundary or jurisdictional? Look, I'm not sure whether they've cracked it from a federal and state jurisdiction, but certainly from a federal government within department perspective. Digitally, they are they're certainly much more joined up in terms of a maturity curve. So that understanding, first of all, that citizens shouldn't have to understand how government departments are structured to get help. At the end of the day, they're coming in with needs and those should be able to be serviced irrespective of whether I'm coming into a, a health page, a transport page or a you know, unemployment benefits page to be able to connect me the whole way through. So I think that's it's a mindset shift. I think you know, Australia's talked a lot to that mindset shift and we're seeing very positive steps forward. I mean, MyGov is an example of that, right? MyGov is a common portal, but what um, Canada's been able to do is really streamline all those government web pages and services that sit underneath that. Yeah, I think we bounced, uh, bounced around on that one a little bit in this country. At one point, there was to be a gov.au site and then that was disbanded and we seem to be moving back to an australia.gov.au site. Certainly, as a citizen, speaking from, I suppose, audience of one, when I interact with government, I don't want to have to jump between different websites. If I'm interacting with them in a particular way, I want to be able to deal with all of that through some single interface. Likewise, when I ring a government contact centre, ideally I shouldn't necessarily be getting bumped from department to department. That's our goal of where we should be trying to get to. So I think some positive steps. I think, you know, with MyGov, I think with the re, um, invigoration of Australia.gov.au, we're certainly seeing positive steps in that direction in Australia as well. And what about in the States? I think we've talked before about, is it Department of Education in New South Wales? What are they Yeah, doing? so Department of Education in New South Wales is a big customer that we, we support here at Adobe. I mean, they've obviously been through some pretty big challenges in the last six months. I mean, first of all, with bushfires in the early part of the year, and what they were able to do was centrally sign off on any sort of emergency information, particularly around school closures and community impacts, understand which communities were impacted and then send um, messages out in real time to individual school websites as well as doing that centrally. So that was really powerful from an emergency management perspective. That then has continued on with COVID and learning from home. So understanding certain impacted schools or communities and then once again being able to deliver tailored messages to each of those impacted communities. Yeah, I guess that's an example where government has had to really work at an incredible pace or certainly set a pace for itself a lot quicker than maybe it's been used to. You're seeing a lot of restructuring within governments or adequately resourcing to enable that to continue in the long term? So we're certainly seeing greater investment in digital. I think where we see the biggest opportunity, though, is the reskilling and upskilling of the public service. So how do you take traditional public service and give them the digital literacy and capabilities to actually take on these jobs of the future. So I think there has been, as you see with a lot of transformation program, a centralization or the creation of a department or some form of center of excellence. I think the next step is really how you upskill the public sector to take these jobs of the future, to take people who might have been doing much more face-to-face or form processing work of the past and turn them into web content producers or data analysts. And, And I think that's going to be the big trick for governments all around the world in terms of how you upskill the public sector and really create that 21st century workforce. 
Well, John McKenney, we're going to leave it there. I'm going to finish, though, by just asking you, on those issues we've talked about, uh, trust and data and security and transformation, there would have to be plenty of reason for optimism. But what's your outlook in what is currently quite a challenging period? Look, I look at it as potentially this is the silver lining of this time. Government has been able to be much more agile, has delivered in some cases products that would have historically taken months in a matter of weeks. So I think both the new agility in government plus potentially a changing trust dynamic with the citizen, you know, potentially gives us great alignment, uh, I suppose, a, a path forward to better service delivery. So I'm highly optimistic of the future and what this might mean. John, thanks for joining us on Commercial Disco. We'll talk to you again. Great. Thanks, James. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Commercial Disco. Please like, subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you heard us. And head on over to our website, innovationoz.com to check out our latest news and reviews focused on tech, innovation and policy. And reach out on our social media to ask any questions or be a guest on the show. Until the next time, this is the Commercial Disco wishing you a great week ahead.